All right, Richard. It's here. It's here. The final arc of uh, DS9. This is the final run of episodes. The nine-part, completely serialized finale of Deep Space Nine. And it's really interesting because already I... We've talked a bunch about uh, TV created in the 90s and the 80s versus, you know, post in a way, Sopranos television, more, you know, Breaking Bad style, where individuals' episodes don't really have a defined plot in a way. And here we're really seeing that. These two episodes don't really have... Certainly there's more events that are happening in one. For example, the Worf and Esri plot has very different beats in the first episode versus the second. Uh, The second one's where Kai Wynn appears, stuff like that, but... It is one long story, and I'm assuming it's going to be that for the rest of the run for the most part. Yeah, so so to give you the background on this, they they had decided to, to do this, the last nine episodes of the show, which are actually like 10-hour-long segments yeah. because the finale is a, two par- is a, two, is a double-sized episode. It's 90 minutes. Okay. So, you know, it's nine parts, but really it's 10 episodes. That um, they had decided, I think, back in the beginning of the season that this is how they were going to do things yeah. because they realized that they had a lot of story to cover. They had a lot of things that they wanted to wrap up, and it wasn't really going to be satisfying to do that in just the series finale yeah. of the show. It was just going to be too much. That was not really what Deep Space Nine was. Yeah, we have um, a war to resolve. That's not going to be something we can do. Well, there's there's a war to resolve. <laughs> there's there's where are all the characters going to end up? You know, are they going to stay? Are they going to go? Yeah. What's going to happen to them? You've got uh, Cisco as the emissary. You've got the stuff with the Great Link. You have the stuff with Cardassia. You know, there's a lot of stuff to cover. Yeah, and this is also a series that has such a deep back cast that it's not. We're not just resolving. You know, a half dozen people's stories. There's a. I I assume we're going to see a lot of familiar faces over the next few hours, and and unfamiliar faces because Gold Ducat is now a Bajoran. But we'll get to that. <laughs> yeah. That. So so they made that decision, and um, they actually wrote. I think they they said that it's it's kind of um, it's it's both indicative of how television has changed so profoundly in the like what is it 19 years since this was on or 20 years since this was on because rick berman had to sort of be convinced to do this well rick berman had to be convinced (laughs) to do a lot the the more i i I, i'm starting to get a reaction when i hear the name rick berman and i think that's making me putting me more into the trekkie camp of things yeah true and (laughs) and you know if you would like to find out more about our thoughts on rick berman you can uh, go to patreon.com slash show. Give us $5 a month or more and check out our patron special from January of this year about LGBT representation in Star Trek. But that plug aside, you know, he said basically like he wanted he had to be convinced, but he thought it was a good idea because, you know, Iris Stephen Bear, they the writers, Ronald D. Moore, you know, this is all stuff I got from Memory Alpha, but. You know, they they sort of had like spreadsheets and they had flow charts and they <laughs> were writing all these episodes together and they had different yeah. events that they wanted to have in different plots. And they wrote like the first four episodes of this arc all together. You know, they were sort of doing something which had not really been done a lot before, which was this really is the model for how television, yeah. a lot of television is made now. and. You know, Iris Stephen Bear did say that they wanted each episode to have a beginning, a middle, and an end. They wanted it to come to some sort of resolution, and they wanted to contain some plots and different things. But, you know, it's not like they were just going to deal with Kai Wynn and, and, and Gold Ducati yeah. in one episode, and then that's it. So, 
and and Rick Berman said that they they wanted to make sure that they they still had an episodic structure in place, which is I think why it's interesting that you say that you don't think there's an episodic structure well, in place, especially but, compared to the, some of the other episodes in this well, series, yeah, sure. and especially compared to something like TNG. Like certainly we you know if we compare this to some stuff that, for example, Breaking Bad has done, or you know Game of Thrones or whatever. Yes, these are a lot strongly more strongly episodic. But already you can see them breaking a bit with that. You can see them breaking with it. And also that, that you know, Rick Berman was, was really nervous about this. You know, he, he yeah. didn't want people to feel like they were coming into the middle of a miniseries, is what yeah. he said. And a miniseries. Like, you know, a miniseries have had a little bit of a resurgence in the past couple of years. But, but yeah. they pretty much disappeared after, like, the, the early 90s. And so it, it, yeah, it's, I think it's, it's just interesting to me that... Uh, uh, the show, the, the the creative staff and Rick Berman as the producer were really nervous about doing this because this is, of course, how a lot of television is made now. And yeah. I think it shows exactly the time period that DS9 was made in yeah. and, and also the challenges involved in doing this and how people had to be convinced to do it. Yeah, but again, you know, nowadays a, a TV episode comes out, there's a half dozen ways to watch it. You're not, they're not going to do an immediate rerun of the episode when they air it for, for this time. So if, if you, it's very difficult, if you miss a week to n- come into the middle of this nine episode arc now, of course, in what year is this? 99. This is 99. Yeah. Everybody has a VCR. So if you're watching DS nine to this point, it, that's not as much of a problem, but again, you can see how, that even was a technology that 10 years earlier may not have been assumed. Exactly. Well, yeah, because I think that, that you're right that um, the serialization of television has has really developed because of technology. Yes. And, and it developed first because of the fact that a lot of people had VCRs and could record episodes. And yeah. It wasn't assumed. I mean, television was written like it was written for so long because you could not assume yeah. that people were watching every episode of the show and that they would miss things. And then even for if we're going back far enough, this episode is not going to exist after today, so it doesn't really matter. Right, exactly. And, and so, you know, and as technology has evolved over the past, you know, 20 years... Yeah. Television is really, really getting serialized now to the point where you basically can have on-demand stuff where you just watch it whenever you want to watch it. And so, and if you don't want to watch it, you can just read the recap, too. Right. <laughs> so this, that, that exists, too. So it? this has profoundly changed how television mm-hmm. has been made. And I think that, you know, uh, 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 you know, Richard keeps joking about doing Babylon 5 on our other podcast, Tuning In, which, Jesus Christ, like, you're going to have to convince me of that. But, you know, everyone says, oh, it was so influential and blah, blah, blah. And it's like, n- nobody was influenced by Babylon 5 nerds. Yeah. I'm sorry. Like, it's no one watched of... it. It's been largely forgotten. Like, it is not a Velvet Underground situation. But I think it would be interesting for us to watch the series to examine that, you know, get to that question. You, you, you want to s- – but I, I don't think either of us are really <sighs> – I'm if not, we could skip the first season, I would be a lot happier to do it. But anyway, I'm not. You haven't watched it. I've watched it more no, I know. than you, and I'm telling you, man, it. it does I not, can believe it has not aged well. Again, having seen most of DS9, it it is. It's interesting how. I, again, that would be a very interesting exercise for us to do. Do we want to do it? I don't think so. Do a lot of you, our listeners, want us to do that? I unfortunately think the answer is yes I to that. I think the answer so... is yes, and also I don't know where we would watch it. It's not available mm. anywhere. I have the DVDs at home in New Jersey. That helps us a lot. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> but but let's not talk about yes. Babylon Five. Let's talk about Deep Space Nine. Yeah. So so how are you feeling about? You know, and I, I don't know if we're going to talk about these episodes individually. I kind of feel like yes. we probably won't. I mean, we're talking about Penumbra until Death Do Us Part. We'll just put well, that out there. I, I, again, it's it's these two episodes are ones where a lot happens and yet nothing really happens at the same time. I mean, it is very clear that this is the first two hours of a ten-hour thing. So we really are gearing up. They're setting. We're still in the we need. Again, this is a series that has a lot of moving parts. There are how many main characters, and then we've got, you know, people like Kai Wynn, for example. And again, they're going to be at a we, – we have Dukat's plot line. All of these plot lines are going to be intersecting. They are – it is one gigantic story that they are telling. Uh, this is the story, again, of a war that's affecting the entire galaxy or in the entire quadrant at least, two quadrants. And so it is going to be very far-reaching. Um and yet, yeah, they're they're putting everybody where they need to be. Way, uh, Kai Wynn and Dukat, you know, forming an unholy alliance turns out, you know, that's the beginning of Wynn's arc in this in this bit, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And so it's hard to. I, I, well, I realize watching this week, like this is going to be a little hard to talk about without knowing where some stuff goes. And yet, I'm up to the challenge. I'm glad you are. Yeah, I, I think that, well, maybe the best way for us to talk about it is to take it, you know, story by story. Sure. Because you're right. I, you know, I mean, certainly I think that, that the episodes do have an individual structure. I yeah. think that they, they do have beginning, middles, and ends in ways that a lot of television doesn't now. Game of Thrones, for example. But, which is interesting because I've talked about that before, where Game of Thrones is sort of moving away from that now. And they are sort of constructing like actual <laughs> episodes of television, which is nice to see. Because uh, I'm not super interested in watching a hundred hour long movie. Um, that the three, I think, well, there's there's really three, I think, main uh, uh, stories that are sort of taking shape at this point, which is, um, and really the 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 prophets have come back to to yeah. be front and center, and the prophets and the Paul rates. I mean, you have the the Kai Wen and Gul Dukat stuff. You have um, the the Cisco and Cassidy Yates stuff. And you also have um, the well, the Dominion, Cardassian, Damar, yeah. Wayun, Breen. Well, the, well, yeah. there's there's the fourth one, of course. I forgot about there's Ezra and Worf, which yes, I forgot about it because it's terrible. But you know, <laughs> yeah. we'll, we'll, uh, I'm uh, I, I'm glad <laughs> we I, I I I'm glad you say that. Although, well, well, I'm not surprised you say that, but I'm glad <laughs> you say that. I don't want to talk about it quite yet because I I'm I'm really uh, I think the first thing I want to talk about is. Uh, Kai Wen and Golden yeah. Cock. Because I and, actually think that there's like the that's probably the least um there is to talk about, actually, because we don't know where this is going. Yeah, but I guess this is a moment where I I I, I don't know. They took Dukat obviously during, you know, when he's killing Jedzia and possessed by the Paw race was a little ridiculous. And yet right now I, he's fucking terrifying. I, I, I in this episode. I love how just expertly he is playing Win in this. I mean, it, it, again, it's horrifying to watch just 
in a way, how good he is. How he knows it, you know, obviously, so obviously Wind's Vision was one from the Wraiths, you know. And yeah, obviously, I think that's pretty obvious. Yes, and obviously they worked out some specific things, this thing about I'm a man of the fields or whatever the line was. A couple of things that... uh Ducat is going to say that have already seeded stuff on her. He's able to also mention stuff like, you know, these people from Elaketh as part of his backstory. He knows enough about Kai Wynn and her involvement in uh in the Cardassian occupation to say the right things. Again, he he's he's expertly manipulating her. And again, their kiss was one of the most horrifying things that they've shown on the series. Um it was just because Ducat conquers with his dick, right? Like his 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 if he has one. Well, whatever he has under there, but no, that's been his thing. Like we, since, especially with people like Kira's mother, for example. Yes. Um Ducat wants has a taste for Bajoran women for whatever reason, and his thing is if a Bajoran woman falls in love with him and you know he feels protective, then. That reinforces Ducat's image of himself, which is of the guy who yeah. made things better for Bajor, even though he didn't have to. And, you know, he's somebody. And look, here I have a beautiful Bajoran woman, you know, at on my arm. How could I be anti-Bajoran? Um, I mean, right now what he's doing with Kaiwen is he is literally fucking the avatar of the Bajoran religion. Yeah. And that is the most, both figuratively and literally. And it's, it's, it's a horrifying moment. You know, it's, yeah, I, I agree with all of that, but, but at the same time, I, I, I think it's a little more, it, it's a little more well, ambiguous than that. I mean, one of the things is that, you know, when we talked about Covenant, which was the other big, mm. you know, that was really the only big Ducat episode that we had had this season. Um, and, you know, we, we sort of talked about the fact that the, the Pa Wraiths are viewed as illegitimate gods, yeah. they're viewed as evil, they're viewed as, as a problem, a cult, all of these things. But we haven't really ever seen the Pa Wraiths do anything that's that bad. Yeah. And we got a comment on that episode, actually. You know, someone made a good point that said, right. well, you know, the, a Pa Wraith did murder Jadzia, which is a yeah. fair point. However, I also think that you know that's that's one thing out of many and and the, the pro- other- and, and the prophets have also done things that could be considered pretty terrible like yes. controlling Cisco's mother for 2 years again yeah we saw the episode where what the Wraith did to Keiko for example and you know she's certainly saying yes he was i felt his hate his anger are we dealing with a completely evil malevolent you know corrupt entity or are we dealing with Somebody who is so desperate and panicked that, you know, keeping one family hostage in return for, you know, eventually getting something good to happen. Again, both the Pa Wraiths and the Prophets are extremists for their views. Right. I mean, you know, we'll, we'll definitely talk about Cisco in this episode, but I think you really see that as, as pretty clear where, you know, the prophets are, uh, you know, taking some sort of penance, I think, for, you know, disappearing the Dominion fleet. You know, they did say at the time that Cisco was going to have to pay a price yeah. for that. And I think this is the price. And we don't know what yeah. the price is yet, but something's going to happen. Um, but I think that, you know, for Gold Ducat or for Anjan, if we can call <laughs> him that, I mean, yes. On the one hand, it is patently ridiculous that medical technology has progressed to the point where you can pretty much turn someone into a different yes. species. I mean, that's kind of ridiculous, but you just have to kind They've of go. Sold you, got, this, you got to go with it. If we could buy face of the enemy, we have to buy that uh, Ducat I mean, like, can be a Bajor, pass for Bajoran. Right. I mean, assumedly, they're 
Kaiwen and Anjin are going to have sex at some point. Yeah. You kind of have to like not really think about that too much because <laughs> really they gave him Bajoran genitalia anyway. Well, again, and one wonders how different the, you just got to go with it. I don't really want, yeah, let's not talk about this anymore. <laughs> but, but I think that, you know, cause the thing about Gold Dukat, especially in Penumbra, when, when he shows up on, on Cadassia prime again, and Damar's like, Whoa, how did you get in here? Like what, what the fuck's yeah. going on, man? Um, is that, and Wayun only, by the way, half cares about Ducati. He's annoyed that he's around, and he's annoyed that he's bothering Damar. But I like that in the second episode. He's just like, yeah, why is Ducat running around? Does anybody know he's looking like a Bajoran? You know? <laughs> he's just more, like, vaguely curious than anything. Right. Yeah, he doesn't really care. But, um, yeah, I, 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 Gal Ducat is, is becoming a very... Uh, they they've done a good job, I think, of of sort yeah. of taking him back from the the sort of you know supervillain aspect of Ducat that he was kind of developing in sort of the fifth and the sixth season, and he is, you know, stepping back a little bit. I think his his faith is really. The show has never yeah. questioned the fact that he really does believe in the Paw Wraiths, that he is their vehicle for whatever plan they have, and they obviously and I- have some sort of plan and. I think it makes what Gul Dukat is doing a little bit ambiguous. Certainly yeah. it's not a good thing. And I think that we are on the side of the prophets, if only because the prophets apparently are on the side of Bajor and they're also on the side of Cisco. But yeah, I don't know that Gul Dukat is doing this to be uh, evil. I think that he really does believe this. Now, whether yeah. or not the, you know, we don't even know. I mean, maybe that we don't know what the Paw Wraith's That's plan is. That's the other is. thing. The Paw so, may be wanting... Uh, there, there's this. Well, let me and let me finish my point. Oh. And you know, at the end of the day, I think that that it's ambiguous as to whether or not uh, a Gold Ducat really knows what that plan is. Either, like, we don't know what their plan is, but I don't think Gold Ducat okay. knows what it is either. And so, if they're doing something, if their if their plans are some sort of like horrible machinations that are going to destroy Bajor, that that's very possible. But but we don't know that, and Gold Ducat doesn't know that. Yeah. So he thinks he's doing the right thing. Well, Goldicott has always needed something to have faith in. In the initial bits, it was himself as the will of Cardassia. Again, a lot of people, pretty much every Cardassian we met has felt themselves extraordinarily patriotic towards their planet. It's just that they all seem to have a different idea of what that means. Um, And again, Goldicott's thing has been he's a good representative of Cardassia. He is the paragon of what it means to be a Cardassian. He does all these great things by not being quite as cruel to the Bajorans as he meant to be. You know, he's dealing with all of those things. And it's, and one of the reasons, again, he, he believes that he needs to be control of Bajor because he's the only one who's going to do it right in some ways. And that becomes his obsession. When he loses that, that's when he really goes off the rails and becomes, great, you know, terrible for a while. And it isn't you know now that we're seeing him fully believing in the paw wraiths and it's not incidental the fact that he believes in something that is very obviously tangible i mean he didn't have faith until he was visited by them right. you know con- contrast that to kai win who even though her vision is of the paw wraiths she- that was her first vision from anything resembling a prophet she is somebody who has had faith all her life and yet has you know not needed the direct experience mm-hmm. of it yet uh, yeah, and I think well, number one, it's very, very smart and wily on the show's part to to have the fact that Kaiwin has never been visited yeah. by the prophets used against her by the Paw Wraiths. Yeah. I mean that's that's a nice little bit of fitting the, the what's been established to go in a different direction. Yeah, you know, you couldn't have done that if if Kaiwin had had an actual prophet vision before, probably. Yeah, well, I mean, 
for a little while, I actually did question in these episodes whether the vision of Sarah was a Paul Wraith too. I mean, I did. I, I think by the end of Till Death Do Us Part, when she, you know, he does have the conversation, that does suggest that she's does feel something resembling compassion for him. She isn't, you know, she is on the Prophet's team rather than the Paw Wraith's team for what that's worth. But I don't think it's incidental that Wynne finds the vision kind of terrifying and very troubling. You know, it's not a, certainly everybody who has encountered the Prophets has been, changed very much by the experience with the possible exception of Quark, but I don't think they've been quite as afraid and shaken by it as Kai Wynn has been. Yeah, and that's maybe because she didn't see the Exactly. <laughs> I would say that, profits. that's definitely part of the suggestion of that. She is, you know, there is some kind of malice that she is still able to somehow sense. Yeah, yeah. I, you know, I want. I think we've said all we can say about the Kaiwin and, and Goldie Cot uh, plotline. But I, the last thing I want to say uh, before we move on to to another storyline is that um, I, I think that uh, I can't remember the actor's name. I feel bad. The 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 actor who plays Goldie Cot, uh, Mark Alamo. Yes, Mark Alamo. Thank you. He is doing a really amazing job of continuing to play yeah. Ducat without the makeup. And you know, I, I I don't know if I feel like that's probably a hard thing to do. Honestly, and yeah. I feel like it might have been something that he could not have done in season two well, because I, he knows how to play this character now with or without the makeup. And he is doing a really good job of continuing to be Gold Ducat, even though he doesn't look anything like Gold Ducat. I think it's fu- Yeah, watching it at first, I'm like, Ducat himself is a bad actor. He's not at all hiding who he is. And yeah. yet I think it's – I mean it's indicative of how desperate Kai Wynn is to latch on to something that seems a tangible you know. Th- thing that again when he shows up saying the right words and you know seeming to she's seeing exactly what she wants to see and he isn't even in a way he isn't he's that good that he doesn't even need to bother to hide yeah who yeah, he is yeah well let's continue talking about the the prophets and bejor and, yeah. and the paw rates by talking about uh the cisco's story line, yeah which you know is probably some of the media stuff he's had all season yeah well, frankly we, I mean, seeing him building this model of this house and proposing the casting and all that, there is such a tragicness to it because he has been told he is not going to be be settling on Bajor. We know that this house is not either not going to be built or that Cisco is not going to live in it. This is a yeah. This is a fantasy. This is a dream that is never is tragically never going to be. And also, where the hell did he get the money to buy like twelve acres? That of was land? my <laughs> question again. I feel you know. All, all, all the time, I've wondered how do Feder- you know how do how they deal with Quark, for example. You know? I, I, I guess honestly, though, if if the emissary comes to you and says I want to buy twelve acres of land or whatever, yeah, or whatever the fuck he says, huh. uh, space acres, that you probably gave him a pretty good deal. Could even be owned by the Bajoran religion and you know gifted to him, for example. That is true. Yeah, yeah, something along those lines, or you know. Uh, but but either way, you know, it doesn't matter because it is so fuzzy, you know. And it's it's it definitely has a, a I mean, in the first episode, Penumbra, you know, with the with the proposal and him building the house and all of this stuff, even before the prophets show up, even before he has the vision of of, of the prophet Sarah, that it it does feel a little deflated. The yeah. energy of the the energy of the uh, proposal even doesn't feel right. And you know they're planning this wedding, and obviously they're thinking, okay, it's going to be a small ceremony, which it turns out to be because Cisco decides to, yeah. to marry uh, Cassidy against the the wishes of the prophets, and really against I think you know Kira does not. Um, yeah, Kira doesn't have a very prominent role in these episodes, but her 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 
presence is felt very yeah. strongly because of the very, very ambiguous and interesting relationship that she has developed with yeah. Cisco the captain and Cisco the emissary. I mean, when they get married in the Starfleet tradition, that is very obviously a defined... I mean, Kira, I think, is the only person besides Cassidy that he told any of this to, and it's... You know, obviously, if they're going to defy the prophets, they're going to full-on defy the fucking Bajoran religion because you might as well go. And Kira understands exactly that. Yeah. As much as she, you know, cares for Cisco and knows that he and Cassidy love each other in a very – she knows what it's this ceremony and the ceremony done in this way and so hurriedly. I mean, to the point where even Quark is, like, grumbling that he was given, like, 20 minutes of prep time to notice this. Yeah. Uh, it, it, they're eloping out of defiance and it's a it's a bad thing it's a tragic thing well i mean i think that that it's it's left a little i don't know if it's tragic i mean i, I don't know that i agree with you that it's a bad well, thing but i think that well it depends on again this is going to depend on where the storyline goes if well they you know the the vision of sarah is is ambiguous in the, in the best tradition of all the prophets visions and she does say that that um they she can't you know, he can't marry Cassidy because, and I don't know that, that the Sarah vision actually names Cassidy, which I think is interesting, but huh. does say that, that he's, he's going to know sorrow and, yeah. and we don't know what that means. Right. And so, yes, like I said before, I think part of this is that the, this is the prophets, their, their proclamation when they, you know, disappeared the dominion fleet, that there was going to be some sort of, uh, payment enacted or, or extracted from Cisco for this, and he was not yeah. going to be happy about it. I think this is what it is. And, you know, part of what is so interesting about Cisco ultimately deciding to, to marry Cassidy, I think, is that he has felt very constrained. I think it's a very small, it's a very small encapsulation of his journey throughout the entire show where early on he felt very constrained by this. He felt very uncomfortable by his role as the emissary. He grew into it. He grew into actually believing in the prophets and having faith in them and really uh, guiding him in his life, feeling very connected to Bajor to the fact that he wants to live on Bajor at some point and build a house there and build a life with Cassidy. And I think this is his line in the sand where he's yeah. saying, you know what? I've done everything you've asked me to do. I have never questioned any of it. Now, like a few months ago, I found out that the person who I thought was my mother was not my mother and that my real <laughs> mother was actually taken over by a prophet. That's really creepy. My entire life has been, my entire existence has been engineered by these aliens yeah. who have some sort of weird plan for me that I don't really understand. And now you tell me that I can't marry the woman I want to marry. Fuck. Yeah. You. I think that's essentially what it is. And see, now what I'm thinking is that when Kaiwin is talking to Dakot, he gets her to finally admit that. Yeah. She doesn't feel right about the fact that the emissary who's received, is it a half dozen visions of the prophets at this point? Uh, is a human who is, you know, had never been to beige or five, you know, seven years ago, as opposed to her who suffered through the occupation like every Bajoran and spent every day in faith in the prophets and doesn't... I mean, I almost wonder if this is going to lead Kaiwin to be re publicly rejecting the emissary. It's possible. I and mean, that could be... Frank, and frankly, making the point that the prof... He didn't even have a Bajoran ceremony. I, I offered... To, as the head of the Bajoran uh, religion to bless their union, and 
he slap in the face didn't take that. You know, how can he be the emissary of our people? Like, this could be the direction that that's going, again, particularly with uh, – with Goldukat whispering in, in her ear and confirming everything that she secretly felt, yeah, uh, you know, and then she's going, you know, she's going to make some changes to the Bajoran religion that are going to be poverty friendly and very Cisco unfriendly. I mean, that's some sorrow is definitely going to come out of that. Yeah, I mean, that certainly could be. We'll just have to to, to stay yeah. tuned. But I think that yeah, there's. I don't not to go too far back to the Kai Win stuff, but I think there's two things there. Number one, of course, is that. Golducott is very, very wily and very smart yeah. in in using Cisco very subtly against Kai Wen to to curry favor with her because he knows that she's not exactly the hugest fan of his. Yeah, and also that you know when Kai Wen comes to the station to to you know help him plan his wedding and to say you know she's like oh well you you asked that guy to do it but now yeah. I'm here so I'm obviously going to do it and Cisco's just kind of like oh, okay. That's she doesn't care. Yeah, she's doing that because she wants the power of and 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 she wants to be able to put the, yeah. the her stamp of approval on this. This is in a way the biggest wedding in Bajor, for a long time in Bajor, in Bajoran history, and she needs to fucking be there. Yeah, yeah. I, I I think the one criticism that I can make of uh, that storyline is that I wish that Cassidy, you know. We've only ever really seen Cassidy through the lens of other characters, namely Cisco and Jake. And I, I, I wish that we had gotten a little bit more of her internal life in this yeah. because there's really no – I don't really know how she feels about Cisco being the yeah. prophet. I don't know how much she understands it, frankly. And I don't think that Cisco – it doesn't seem to me that Cisco is sharing that much of it with her. Well, I, I, I mean, we definitely get the sense that he hasn't shared much of his Starfleet career with her. Again, remember the episode where she's on the ship and he doesn't really know what to do with it. And they agree that you know, yeah, you know, this is you know, it's okay if your work life is separate. So, right, right. You know, she probably doesn't talk a ton about the day to day of being a freighter captain. You know, she, they just. They have their work, but then they come together and they have their own own world. And so she's probably not used to Cisco being the emissary affecting her, just as she's not used to Cisco being a captain affecting her. And so this probably is really the first time that just out of nowhere, somebody that you know one day she's proposed to the next God told me not to marry you. I mean, yeah, I wonder. Like that's I, the it thing. would be nice to hear her reaction. It's true. Yeah, like how how ridiculous doesn't sound. Yeah, I mean to be frank about it, like. You know, she does have that line where she says that her, you know, her mother would feel more comfortable if a minister was marrying them. Which, yeah. Okay. Uh, which also implies that there is some organized religion on Earth in yeah. the 24th century, which I don't think we've ever really heard much about before, which is interesting. But you yeah. know, and and but at the same time, it's like Cisco is basically. I mean, this is obviously important to Cisco, and she loves Cisco, and she supports him. So yeah. I think that that's part of it. But yeah, for for Cassidy Yates, I mean, she might just be like, "What the fuck?" Like basically god is telling you not to marry me like what the hell is going on here yeah one day we're having a nice simple ceremony you know this isn't your first marriage i don't really care about that uh the next day we have to have this lavish state wedding presided by the head of the religion of that neither of us exactly belong to and then now we can't get married like and then then the next day when he comes back and he's like no let's get married i mean I, that was kind of one of the closest to what, you know, her reaction to that, you know, don't do this to me, like, you know, 
you can't take this is this is you've got to make the commitment now. Like if you're taking it back, if you made the mistake, like that is the closest to an internal life. Really, we do see it. Yeah, I think so. And 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 also finally, before we move on to another storyline, is that you know both both the Kai Wen Gold Ducat and and then Cisco and Cassidy storylines. You know, I think that these two episodes have really. You know, obviously, we'll see more of of, of the profits. They're not going to disappear yeah. in the paw rates. You know, this isn't it. But in the fact that they did want to try and and have these episodes kind of have beginning, middles, and ends as well, having the marriage take place in yeah. the second episode, having Kai Win and Gold Ducat kiss in the second episode is indicative of the fact that both of these storylines are sort of coming together and setting up what's going to happen later on. And also don't forget that the epi- I mean there's three marriages we re- three unholy unions we kind of see in this episode the third being the alliance that gets you know in the very last scene between the Dominion and the Breen. I yeah. mean these these are alliances that are not necessarily going to be bring positive things to the characters involved yeah. or to everybody. Well, let's talk about that then because, you know, we haven't seen Damar in a while. We haven't seen yeah. Wayun in a while. We haven't seen Cardassian in a while. So here's my fan theory. This is actually Wayun number 74 and that uh, Damar just keeps having him killed. Like, I think they've probably got Wayun's clone tank actually on Cardassia, so, like, every morning a new one pops up. Like, that that has to be the case. That's probably true. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, Damar is really fucking sinking, you know, as Dukat immediately mentions to him. Uh, you know, he's drinking first thing in the morning now. He's... I... I I'm waiting for him. You know, there, there there's that... One episode of The Simpsons with the Japanese mafia, and there's, like, the little guy, and, like, Homer's like, I want to see the little guy. He's going to do something really cool. Like, that's how I feel about Damar right now. Like, I don't know what he's eventually going to do, but he's here for a reason, and it hasn't happened yet, and I'm ready. It's very astute of you. <laughs> Maybe that's all I'll say about that. Okay. Um, I mean, it's really, you know, Damar, Wayun, you know, seeing the female changeling again. Yeah. These are all just sort of check-ins. Like, yeah, obviously, the- we, we um, you know, in the first episode, Penumbra, of course, uh, Dukat and Damar are together, and that kind of pushes, uh, you know, Dukat's yeah. storyline forward a little bit. But uh, Damar really doesn't do much in this episode, yeah. which I think is probably by design, of course, because yeah. he's feeling very uh, neutered. He's feeling very insecure. And Wayun is definitely the uh, sort of the stronger of the two of them. And yeah. he's really the one that's driving what's going on. And yet we are starting to see again Damar Damar's loyalty for Ducat hasn't really diminished, even though Ducat isn't, you know, he, obviously, Wayun is not happy about what Damar has done, whether or not he completely cares is a different story, but sure. Damar's, you know, getting, you know, Damar arranging for the surgery for Gul Ducat is certainly uh, him doing a little bit of defiance. Again, that's suggesting that... You know, yes, he may be a crapulent drunk at this point, but he's still looking for his ways to, you know, and maybe he sees Dukat as the way out. Yeah, I mean, that could be. I I, I think, Or that, at least he knows that, you know, whether or not that's going to help him in the long run, it's going to piss off Wayun at the very least. Well, certainly DeMar is interested in pissing off Wayun. Yeah. And I, I, I think that, that sort of the, I mean, I think that Dukat's pep talk to Dukat, wait, that doesn't make sense. Dukat's pep talk to Damar in the second episode is sort of just a, a vehicle for, I think the, the show to find somebody to remind Damar of, of yeah. who he is and what he should be doing. And 
I, I think that DeMar, it seems to me that DeMar obviously is spiraling down and yeah. out of control, but also that, yeah, he is going to, seems like he's going to do something. And this whole Breen Alliance thing yeah. seems like both a last-ditch effort on the Dominion's part to, to keep the war going and also to, really, I think DeMar realizes that he's completely lost control of the situation. Yeah. I mean... You know, this, he did, I mean, he like I don't I don't even think that it really seemed like he, like, yeah. he probably knew maybe. No, but, no, no. If I remember, no, right. if he I remember know, right, yeah, yeah when you're just saying, "Oh, we'll see, we'll see." No, no, all right, fine. Now I'll explain. Breen, um, and you know what I'm reminded of is during that, early, you know, during the DS9 is occupied arc. I'm reminded of how Kira was. Now Kira eventually, because oh, of yeah. the people around her, managed to get out of her depression, but. That's what Damar's initial time was, and yeah. the problem is Damar didn't actually find any friends. He found a bottle of Kinar. I mean, that's yeah. in a way a direction Kira could have gone into this very dark direction. Yeah, yeah, I think that's right, and I think that that's actually a really good point. And, yeah. and and part of what I like about that is that you you really do see the differences between Kira and Damar. Yeah, which is that you know Kira is very very strong willed, and Damar perhaps is not. Yeah, well, again, Kira is it. Kira did spend her youth as, you know, uh, as the underdog in a in a terrorist cell to free her occupied, you know, planet. Damar spent his youth as a Cardassian, you know, in a, on a military track. So he did really he he isn't probably as used to working with as little as Kira is probably used to working with. And again, Kira is a lot Kira has Odo, she has her faith in Cisco, yeah. she had Jadzia, you know. I'm trying to remember who was on the station in that initial arc, but I know certainly Odo was one of the major well, people. And o- Odo, Odo was there. Quark was there. Jake was there, and her faith in Cisco. And that was that was who was there. Yeah, much. I mean, well, Rom and, but, and Lita too, but yeah. But as far as we can tell, you know, Demar doesn't. See, I don't believe has any family. All he had was Golducott, and he saw him, you know, completely lose it after the death of his daughter. Get become a fanatic for a religion that he doesn't even you know really belong to, and that, so yeah, he he had a lot to help him lose faith. Yeah, yeah, he didn't well, really also, have a support network. Yeah, no, of course. And I think maybe the final thing to say about that is you know um, that you know it is the fact that that Demar murdered Zial, and yeah, Ducat has ostensibly like. Not forgotten about it, but I think that he's kind of pushed that into well, into a very 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 dark <laughs> corner of his mind because he's obviously compartmentalized Damar. Well, if you asked Damar, you know, would you kill Zial again? I am I, I'm fairly certain he would say no because he realized that again at the time he thought, all right, killing Zial will get Dukat back. He will lose all his ties and he'll be with me, and then we'll you know kick ass together. But Realizing that that was actually what caused Ducat to snap, uh, I can see that being a very big regret of his. Obviously, he doesn't care about Zial herself. But, right. Uh, so the female changeling, yeah. I guess. Again, it's a check-in, but I mean, the last time on DS9, they did make a very big deal about her giving us another sample. So I don't know if that's anything other than they're still researching this disease. But again, we don't. It, it, it's a check-in. It's true. It's reminding us that the story of this virus is going to be picked up, and we're going to find out why, and there's going to be a resolution for that. I still don't really. Again, you told me that I had. Um, I think I asked at one point. Like the question for me is not why is 
why are all the changelings getting sick, but why is Odo not getting sick? And you said that was a close, but I still don't have an answer for that. We'll find out very soon. Okay. That's all I'll say about that. Okay. Uh, how are you feeling about the Breen? I wish the Breen had been dealt with a tiny bit more. We've only seen them once or twice, and so... I mean, I know when they were first introduced, you said, oh, the Breen, and I was like, I, I, I actually, that was, I think they were the ones who had captured uh, mm-hmm. Zial. Yeah, so, back in um, Indiscretion, I believe. Which suggests to me that they maybe did have some kind of agreement with the Dominion, if not an alliance yet. Um, uh, again, I don't think an alliance is something that happens overnight, but I'm sure that they worked together on a couple of things, and I assume that was one of the things. Um, what's What's interesting about the the Breen to me is is that it's a very very interesting way that they just kind of. I, I actually disagree with you. I think it works really well that the Breen weren't really around that much because okay. it's kind of like everyone forgot about them, and hey, yeah. suddenly it's the Breen. You know, no, like, and that's fair. And, too. and they they you know because Damar seems shocked by it. And, uh, you know, the other thing, too, is that I, I think that it does reveal the, the depths to which the Dominion really doesn't respect Cardassia. Because yeah. Cardassia, let's not forget, is a full member of the Dominion. They joined the Dominion. Yeah. Dukat had them join the Dominion. Wayun says that they're just in an alliance with the Breen. Mm. They're our allies. So that implies to me that that the Breen are not part of the Dominion. And they're equals. And the, Yeah, yeah. And they're equals. And so it's like this is the shiny new toy that the Dominion has. And, yeah. you know, Damar, I think, is probably feeling pretty worried about Cardassia's future. Now, alliance. We don't know whether how seriously the Dominion is going to take that and how long term their alliance is going to be but yeah it is maybe it is partially to do as a fuck you to cardassia because you know they're making it clear to cardassia that we are only interested in you as long as you're useful and damar the guy i have who is your representative and you know is a drunk what's the use of that all right here's the breen they actually are worth a damn in this galaxy right right. um i guess part of it is i'm not afraid of the breen because i haven't seen them enough to be like for example if they had alliance with the borg let's say you know that that would obviously have be a problematic in 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 many ways and i'm glad that's not the direction they took but the borg would feel like oh shit that is a really big threat the breen don't feel as big as the dominion the borg did yeah. I guess that's where I'm getting that from. But that said, again, I'm very glad they didn't choose to do that direction. Yeah, no, they they really I mean, there's no way that they could do that. No. Anyway. Uh yeah, and I think that maybe the final thing to say about the Marine is is like most of what was going on in these two episodes, is this is really table setting. This is really yeah. propelling the show into the last arc and and where everything is going to end yeah. up i think is probably going to be pretty satisfying yeah for I, I i'm fairly sure the adventures of Worf and esri on the breen ship are much less interesting than the adventures of what they're going to be dealing with in way yoon's custody i mean yeah. that that's where the real story is those these two episodes were getting them there well i made that noise because it's time for us to talk about esri and Worf. oh god i just don't i don't care Here's a thing, actually. I The one thing I would like to say, and it has nothing really to do with Ezra and Worf exactly, but so I know Worf will get through the series alive, I believe, because hasn't haven't they talked about the Captain Worf show? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, but I find myself 
And and I know this is not how Warf, Warf I didn't worry for Warf in the right. you know capsule right. or anything, but Warf's death. Worf's death is going to be a major event in the Star Trek universe, and I'm very surprised that because I don't know. Part of me almost wants to see that because of the entire time that he's been built up, like and an honorable and a good and a blaze of glory death is something that whether or not we like Worf, he has been built up so much of it as a character, and death is such an important part of his story that I actually find I am curious about it. Is it going to be a blaze of glory death, or is it going to be? something ignominious was the entire point of that uh you know could it be that the entire point of that whole david crockett like the legend is more important than the would be a nice capper for Worf's story i don't know yeah but, i don't know and i think that we'll have to maybe if star trek discovery is a big hit and they decide to do another show that's yeah set in the 25th century or something we will see that but the point is you know until now no you know up uh, 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 at at so far, nobody has treated it, not even in a novel or anything. Yeah, and I'm being I'm being a little a little uh, I'm of having course. I'm having a little bit of fun with you and being a little a little mean because um you know these are the last few episodes of the podcast I know doing Deep Space Nine and so I will just say this that um I think you'll be happy with where what Worf's story is going to be okay in in the final couple of episodes yeah and, and I'll just leave it at I that. have no I. I have no idea. I just find – I don't – again, I don't really give a shit whether Ezri and Worf work out their problems, but I want to see Worf's death. Is that indicative of how I feel about the plot? Um, it might be. <laughs> yeah, I um, I mean, I guess that – I don't know. Ezri is is a problem. I, I like Ezri as a character. I think that Nicole DeBoer has done a good job with the character, has – but they've they, – and part of it is that, you know, of course, it's a little unfair to bring in a new character on the last season yeah. of a show that's been running for seven years when everybody else on the show has had six years to develop their characters. And she was always going to feel yes. a little unsatisfying. I I don't know really how invested I am in Ezra and Worf. There's a reason why they did this. And um, we will get to that. I mean, Worf's... Ezri's dream interpretation scene is important for a very specific reason, even if it was incredibly boring because yeah. I, I hate dream interpretation. But I mean, it's it's especially if they're just telling the dream. I mean, Next Gen did some really good dream sequences, and this did some. This series did some very good nightmare sequences. It would have been better to see, it, 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 if we see it and we hear the voiceover. That's one thing. Yeah. I, so that is part of why it was. Boring. I mean, I, I I like the fact that they they did do a really good job of, of using Ezra and Worf getting, uh, uh, Worf getting, you know, blown up in, in the shuttle or whatever. No, in the, um, in the escape pod, yeah. you know, Ezra going off and rescuing him. And then that's how the brain get revealed. I mean, they do a good job of like syncing yes. all this up. Oh yeah. I, I just don't know. Like, you know, Ezra and Worf have been dancing around each other way back in after image when, uh, Worf said to, went to Ezra's quarters and said basically like, I would not want you to leave because of me. Yeah. So stay on the station if you want to stay on the station. And then they basically had nothing to do with each other for the rest of the, the rest of the season. Now we get to this point where, you know, Worf is, you know, this is, this is legit, like worrisome that Worf was not found. The Defiant was not able yeah. to, to find his escape pod. And Ezra decides to go off and steal a shuttlecraft and, and rescue Worf. I, I buy that. Like I buy oh, yeah. that the, the Dax part of Ezri still and feels... the Jadzia part of Ezri. Yeah. Ezri. Well, that's what I that's what yeah. I mean. The Dax yeah. part of Ezri okay. that that 
she she feels this responsibility and this connection to Worf and does not want him to die and wants yeah. to honor him. I get that. I also can buy that, you know, they have sex. Okay, fine. Yeah. What what I I also buy that Worf is is a jealous creep. I mean, we yes. know that. I don't like Worf. I mean, I've talked about this before where he's not the type of person I, I, I would like. I don't think he's a very nice person and I don't think he's very interested in people as people. I mean, I mean the fact, the fact that he's getting angry at Esri for having a romantic dream about, <laughs> about Bashir, like is just crazy. I mean, we even hear he, you know, he, he, he's kind of shitty about Alexander again. I, I don't remember exactly. Oh, what he yeah. Said. yeah. But they ask what Alexander's up to and he's just like, uh, rah, rah, rah. I don't know. Do I have the son? You know, yeah, it's just, and you know, and then he's like talking about how they're going to have many years together. And he's like, ha ha ha. Yeah, that's not going to happen. Yeah. A lot of years. You know, I mean, the whole thing is just sort of like, why are you wasting our time with this? Especially because in my head, and I, I, I guess I have to confess this to you. I've been shipping Esri and Quark a while. Be- you know, and not just because they're the same height, but... Um, they're your one true pairing? Well, yes. I just taught you that term. I just taught Eric the term OTP yesterday, so... I, I knew it, but I couldn't I retaught it. it. You retaught it to me. Well, I mean, especially because it's... With Worf, if... With Worf and Esri together makes Esri Jadzia part two, right? Uh, Quark, I think, is a very... I, especially because when Quark... For, Quark first meets Esri, he says basically, this is an opportunity for a second chance. If she she yeah. isn't quite Jadzia, she's close enough. Yeah. And yeah. Quark is doing the nice guy friend thing to her. He he has finally figured out that Quark's scheme for getting Esri is Esri is to be very interested in her, to care about her, and to actually form a friendship. And this is probably the first actual mature relationship he's had with another woman. I mean, when he's coming up to her and he realizes she's worried about Worf and he, you know, he talks her down from the legend for a little bit in a way that actually does work. I mean, he is actually getting to know them. They actually have a lot better chemistry than Ezri and Worf do. I, I definitely agree with that. I mean, that that obviously that's part of the reason why Worf and Ezri are not going to get together, right? And But I don't know that we needed to see that. I mean, yeah. there's a reason why they do this, and I, we, I'm not going to tell you why, okay. because it's, you know, you'll find out in an episode or two. I forget exactly when it happens. Is she going to have his baby? Worf's baby? Yeah. No. Thankfully. <laughs> but, <laughs> but... Oh, good. I was worried that, that we, we had witnessed... Uh, no, 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 no. But it makes it hard to talk about the Ezra and Worf storyline yeah. because it, it was used to set something up that happens later. And if you don't know yeah. what that is, it's hard to talk about whether or not the Worf and story, the Worf and Ezra storyline, was justified in as much time as we spent on it. Well, but 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 I and but spoiler, in a way, spoiler we, alert, it's not. But in a way, we can because I I mean, whether I don't know what the destination is, but I can tell you the journey kind of sucks. Yeah, I don't really know. I can't really think of any plot. Certainly, I think they can do something interesting with Worf and Ezri or Dax or whatever in the next you know, few episodes. And certainly, again, well, I, again, I'm curious what their life under Wayun's custody is going to be. What's right. going to happen? You know, is are they going to align with Damar, for example? Like that could be that could be very sure. You sure. know, there are several. There's a lot more possibilities that are a lot more interesting than will they or won't they, and. The time that it took to see them in this cell just kind of doing really shitty half-assed escape attempts and being bored of the, out of their minds was very boring to watch. Them in the shuttlecraft talking about their relationship. I don't care. 
Yeah, I, I don't care either. Like, I think it's just, it was a bad use of the time. Yeah, and the, the, there, there is so much more interesting stuff. I would rather see what Morn was up to than really dealt with that. Not me, but that's why we're different people yeah. with, with uh, different opinions about Star Trek. Well, I think the last thing to say before we wrap this episode of the podcast up is uh, apparently Damar sleeps in his uniform and Worf, but I think it's for the same reason that they said that uh, apparently uh, some people raised a question of if Worf and Esri had had just uh, slept together on the planet, why is Worf uh, wearing his (laughs) shirt? And uh, the answer very sensibly was we didn't want to have to deal with a shirtless Klingon. I would. Like, they didn't want to have to figure out what the, the hell. makeup. <laughs> yeah. And I think that's why Damar is sleeping in his uniform. I also get the sense Damar just passes out. Sure. Like, he wakes up on the floor with a bottle, an empty bottle of Canar pooled on the floor next to him in, you know, whatever state. So. Yeah. Yeah. Well, what? who, who, who among us haven't had that happen at some point in our lives? Actually, I never have. <laughs> I have always found my way to a bed. That's all I'll say. Okay, fair enough. Well, if you have any thoughts on either of the episodes we just discussed, Penumbra or Till Death Do Us Part, please leave a comment on the post for this episode of the podcast at truckaboutshow.com. You can check out our Patreon, patreon.com slash truckaboutshow, which also supports our other podcast tuning in. In two days, we are releasing our episode on Season 3, United States of Terra, Dr. Hatteras's Miracle Elixir, and uh, unfortunately titled The Road to Hell is Paved with Breast Intentions. Which is not necessarily the worst title of the United States of Terra, but it's on the list. It's on the list. And uh, we're getting pretty close to the end of United States of Terra podcast, and we're going to be revealing what we're doing next. I think everyone that listens to this show uh, is going to be very excited by it, so... Just uh, you should go listen to tuning in and, and find out what's going to happen on, on that. I, should we tell them that it's not Babylon 5? I think they might be a little too excited. Yes, it's not Babylon 5. They're definitely not Babylon 5. Yet. Yet. Social media, we're on it. Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Truckabout Show. It's our username in all those places. And as always, please leave us an iTunes review for Truckabout. It is the best way for new fans to find the show, especially since we are going to be moving into... Star Trek Voyager very mm. soon. Now, this is normally the part where I tell you what episodes are coming up next, but I have two things that I want to cover. Oh, my God. One of them Richard knows about. One of them Richard does not know about. I don't like surprises. The first one is that we have had uh, a couple of people ask questions about why we have not covered Star Trek Insurrection yet, which is the third TNG movie, which came out, I believe, in the sort of like third-ish part of season seven of ds9 okay the reason is very simple i didn't want to kill the momentum of season seven of ds9 by stopping for a week and talking about star trek insurrection and also it doesn't really have that much to do with ds9 there's nothing that really indicates to me that it okay. would be relevant to talk about so uh we're just to let you know we're, we're going to talk about star trek insurrection when we are done with DS9, we'll do we'll do the series finale of DS9. The next week will be Star Trek Insurrection, and then we'll start Star Trek Voyager. Um, and the next question everyone's going to ask, of course, is when are we going to do Star Trek Nemesis? We are going to not do Star Trek Nemesis. At until, all. At all, yes. Uh, we're not going to cover Star Trek Nemesis until we're done with Voyager. Okay. Um, eight years from now. Eight years from now. So there's there's that answer for everyone out there. Uh, that also raises the question of what we're going to do about Star Trek Discovery. We are in discussions about that. We don't know what we're going to do with that yet. So stay tuned on that as well. 
Now, we have an email that we would like to read. This was sent to us by John. Uh, It says, Dear Eric and Richard, thank you for your wonderful podcast. You are welcome, John. Yes. (laughs) Why do you always read them like you're going to like start screaming? I'm a very angry person (laughs) secretly, Richard. I like your analyses of the show, and it's interesting to hear the discussions between a veteran and a newbie. However, well, that's never good. Uh I do have some criticism, which I hope you'll take in a good way. Well, we'll just have to find out, won't we, John? Uh, He says, episode specific, and you are cordially invited. You talk a lot about how you dislike heterosexuals. That is true. We do dislike (laughs) heterosexuals. I'm also very bothered with the episode, but with the gender stereotypes it portrays, this has to do with sexual preference Sexual preference? Okay. Uh, As well, of course, as straight males are shown to love this and that. Yes, it's terrible cliched writing. There's nothing to do do with Star Trek, but I don't see the point in nagging about their sexual preference. If you want to criticize something, do it good. Now, he spells criticize with an S and not a Z. From his name, I'm assuming that perhaps he is not a uh, native English speaker. Um, Or he could be from England. I, he could be from England. I, I uh, number one, uh, sexual preference I find offensive. Uh, uh, my uh, sexual orientation is not a preference. Thank you very much. Mine is. Uh, that's fine. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I um, you know, this is well, another DJ Skin So Smooth situation. Not necessarily, but it's a. I, I think in some ways we do conflate a couple of things. We see. I mean, I I at least see gender stereotypes in a way as a function of patriarchal heterosexuality. In other words, I think that, uh, for me, gender stereotypes fall within that uh, term heteronormativity, right? So you're heterosexual, I'm going to be the man I'm working, and I'm going to have the job while my wife stays home, cleans, and is barefoot and pregnant. Again, I see that as a function of the patriarchal version of heterosexuality, and certainly... uh, and people who go outside of that stereotyped gender, which uh, you know obviously is much more, much more com- complex than you know I just described. But I again I see that as a as I see that as a refusal to break away from again st- gender stereotypes are an outdated form of heteronormative. I don't know. I'm explaining this badly in my way, but do you know where I'm going with this? Yeah, I know where you're going with that, and I th- you're not explaining it badly at all. Okay, and and I agree with all of that. I, I, I don't think... think you would have gender stereotypes without heterosexuality, but maybe I'm mistaken. Um, I don't think you would either, but that would presume that human beings would be some sort of like I don't know, yeah, like organism that produces asexually and yeah that's not what we are so well, i don't know because when you you know talk about for example gender stereotypes fit in when you look at a gay couple and say well which one's the man and which one's the woman right true yes and so that but that's putting a queer context into a heteronormative context and so it's why it's a ridiculous statement to make well and i think i mean i i, I have a call i mean i agree with all of what richard said i'm, I'm not going to really uh follow up on any of it because you know i i'm not as smart as he is but um Two things about it. Number one is that, of course, I come at it from a point of view of part of the reason why these gender stereotypes exist, as Richard said, is because of because of heterosexuality. And and also the fact of the matter is, if you are cordially invited, had been written by a gay 
writer, I don't think they would have been in there. So that's kind of what I'm getting at mm. is that, you know, I think Ronald Z. Moore wrote that episode and he's a straight man. Uh, he has a certain set of cultural and sociological yeah. assumptions about the way that uh, men and women relate to each other that I don't necessarily have and Richard doesn't necessarily have. So that's kind of where I'm coming at it from. Uh, the other part of this, of course, is that uh, we, we've gotten a couple people now that have given us uh, feedback about the fact that we do you know, joke about not liking heterosexuals. I think heterosexuals are fine. I just want to spend as little time with them as possible. Um, I I just, I don't care what they do. I just don't want to see it. Don't take it, you know, keep it in your bedroom. Keep it in your bedroom. I don't want to see it. Don't make out in public. Don't, don't hold hands. I don't want to see it. Um, That living as a, as a queer person living in a heterosexual society or, or frankly, being a minority in any society yeah. is is very, very hard sometimes. And I think that it's important for minorities to speak openly and honestly about their lived experience as being a minority. If us talking about heterosexuality as the other makes you uncomfortable, that's part of why we do it. Yeah. Welcome to our world. Welcome I don't to know our world. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I am certainly the kind of person who does not believe that it helps, for example, the cause of feminism to have ironic misandry. You know, hashtag kill all men does not help feminism at all. So, you know, I don't think saying dice is scum or, you know, kill all heterosexuals. I'm like not, that, we're, that, that, yeah, that's stupid. Yeah, we're not it's saying not, that. It's not useful to turn hatred back on as a tool of oppression. And yet at the same time, it feels like, again, talking about Simpsons, it's reminding me of, you can't use that word. That's our word that we use to make fun of you. Like, right. straight people, we make fun of you a lot because we think you're ridiculous. And I I don't think a lot of straight people realize that we have opinions on heterosexuality in a lot of ways. And, you know? and they're sometimes not uh, the most complimentary. I don't. Uh, and you know what? We'll again, talk, like, we'll, I think that what you're really hearing here, and I think this is why Trek about is, is, you know, uh, important quote unquote, um, is that a lot of the time you are hearing uh, the ways in which Richard and I speak to each other when we're not doing a yeah. podcast. And so you're really, you really are hearing two gay men, at, you know, you, you don't get to hear this very often. So I think that just, you know, take it in that spirit well, of which is it intended. And and if you have a problem with it or, or you're offended, I mean, you know, I don't, like I said, I'm not, I don't really hate heterosexuals. I don't really not want to be friends with them, but it is tiring sometimes to live in a heterosexual mm-hmm. culture. And I think that it's important for, um, for, for heterosexuals to remember that. Well, let me, again, let's go back to the difference between gender stereotypes and sexual preference, orientation, alignment, whatever. Um, I, I don't, I'm a, I'm a neutral evil homosexual. (laughs) I don't understand why heterosexual men view women as inferior because how do you say you're sexually attracted to somebody you're, who you view as inferior to like that, that to me makes no goddamn sense whatsoever. Like, right. And I, you know, I, I think there is a degree where hatred of women is reflected shame of hatred of oneself in other words this is a person who's taking a dick how gross is a dick you know so obviously you must be a horrible person i mean that's really where i think the uh view of your sexual object as inferior comes from and i don't know to me that's not you know to me that's a gender role as a function of uh, of the fucked up part of heterosexuality and i mm-hmm. you know the men i know who do not view women as inferior i see as 
having evolved beyond that. So again, yeah. I you yeah. know, I I don't think it maybe it's not an inherent feature of heterosexuality, but I just wish like you didn't have to be like that if you were heterosexual. <laughs> like, why do you have to talk that way? Why do you have to dress like that? Why do you have to say those things? Like, can't you just be normal? Yeah, I think that's right. <laughs> uh, there's some other criticism in the email that I was going to read, but this episode's long, so I'm going to skip it. Uh, thank you, John, for your email. We hope that that was a good explanation of our position on this. I'm sure in another two months we're going to have another <laughs> angry straight person writing us about how dare you talk about gay, straight people like this. And you know what? We're going to have to have this conversation again. But Oh, well. Oh, well. Uh, okay. <laughs> you know, this really isn't how we uh, talk to each other because we're a lot more blue when we talk to each other. <laughs> <laughs> that is true. All right. I think that's it for this episode of the podcast. Next week, we are going to be talking about strange bedfellows. And the changing face of evil. Mm, Strange Bedfellows is a very odd uh, juxtaposition of a title in light of what we just talked about. 